0: Even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. And I'd like to tell you that we have a
1: new and improved website. It has two new features that we think you'll love. One of them is a vastly improved search engine
2: Today, I'll be talking to the author of Welfare for the Wealthy Parties, Social Spending, and Inequality in the United States. The book was published in 2015 by Cambridge University Press. Today, I had the chance to talk to the author, Christopher Farise, about the book. Welcome back to the podcast. Again, my name is Heath Brown, and I have the chance today to talk to Christopher Farise, who is the author. Of Welfare for the Wealthy, Parties, Social Spending, and Inequality in the United States. Chris, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing very well, Heath. How are you?
2: Good, good. You are the first podcast recording of 2016, and this is such an interesting book, and I've been looking forward to talking about it. So before we get to it, as we always do, why don't you just tell us just a little bit about yourself and where you are now and where you've been in the past?
1: Sure. Uh, I'm here at Syracuse University at the Maxwell School. Uh, which is a interdisciplinary uh, program that brings together political science, uh, economics, sociology, anthropology, history. Uh, it's a real neat uh, program we have here at Syracuse. And uh, before coming to Syracuse, I was at uh, Washington State University in their uh, political science uh, department for three years. And then prior to that, in uh, the southern slice of heaven, Chapel Hill, North Carolina, uh, doing my Ph.D. work at UNCG.
2: Chapel Hill. Yeah, well, it was, um, it's a, a really interesting book that um, I don't touch on a lot of things that, that I have thought about, and, and uh, let, let's get to it. Um, so, so much of your book is, I think, about dispelling myths, and, and you talk about this. Um, so let, let's, let's talk about a <clears throat> few of those myths before we get to the, the analysis of the book. Um, and the first myth is, is something about how social programs are paid for. So what is wrong with the assertion that all social policy happens through direct on-budget government spending?
1: So this is the idea that the American public has, that if you ask people, you know, to think about social policy or social welfare, I would imagine for most people, including myself before I wrote the book, that big programs come to mind, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, Medicaid. Uh, welfare benefits. And these programs are traditional social programs that are pay through Um, direct appropriations. But if you think about the programs that most adults in the United States use, they are government funded, but they aren't funded through the budget. So if you take kind of an average household uh, who receives their health care through their their employer, uh, their employer gives them a chance to contribute to a 401k, Uh, they might be involved in a church uh, or a synagogue. Uh, and make charitable contributions, the government subsidizes all of these activities, and all of these activities can be rightfully claimed as social welfare policy. And the subsidization of these doesn't come through the budget. It comes off budget in the tax code uh, in the form of uh, exclusions, deductions, and
2: credits. And and what do we call that? Because the, the terminology here kind of matters as, as we get into the analysis. What is that type of um, social policy called?
1: So formally, these are called tax expenditures. And uh, I found in giving presentations on my work and in this book in particular that this is a contested uh, concept and phrase. So the idea of a tax expenditure uh, is that... If what you're analyzing is the government, so we're not talking about my relationship with tax breaks or your relationship with tax breaks, where you might see it as getting your own money back. But we're talking about the government. We're talking about the government's uh, budget. Then the idea is that a tax break is equivalent to spending. And the argument made by economists and budget experts and even uh, party officials and policymakers follows this line of logic, that if the government decides to fund healthcare through Medicare and they spend $500 million, the government's out $500 million. But If the government decides to also fund healthcare through giving tax breaks for employment-based healthcare insurance, that too is a government-directed use of federal funds, and if that costs the government. $300 $300 million. That means the government's out $300 million. And it doesn't matter when you're looking at the government budget, whether it was done through the formal budget or through a tax subsidy. Either way, the government's out the money, and it's out the money because it is directing it and trying to incentivize people to gain social insurance.
2: So let's talk about the second myth, uh, no, less, no less contentious than the first, which is the, the myth about political parties and And it seems to go something like this: uh, Democrats push for more spending on social policy. Republicans push for cuts in social policies is Is that myth of American partisan politics wrong? You know, Heath,
1: I believe it is, so when we think about this uh what I believe is an outdated idea of American political parties and campaigns and election as we approach the 2016 uh, election and we get underway in Iowa soon. Uh, The idea that the American people would accept uh, and vote for a party that just cuts government spending and cuts government programs um, and doesn't offer anything in return flies in the face of public opinion. So one of the most consistent uh, macro findings in American public opinion going back to the 1960s is that we have this paradox in the United States that uh, the American public uh, does not like government. Uh, in the abstract, uh, wants less government spending. But when asked specific questions about uh, spending and activity on health care or education or retirement security uh, or the environment, uh, Americans across the board want more government activity and more government spending. Um, So in light of public opinion, where Americans want more government spending uh in these areas of social policy it doesn't make sense to hang on to to this idea that the republicans can win elections just by cutting spending but what can happen is that they can win elections by uh funding these activities but do it in a way uh that um signals to the american voter a light touch of the government
2: so um, with these kind of two myths, not if not dispelled, um at least put into a little better context let's talk about what your central thesis here is because it's it's more than simply that these myths aren't quite right um, there's something more fundamental that you're arguing here about how politics works and how partisan politics works through social policy making so give us your case what's what's the argument that you're making here? So
1: the argument I make in Welfare for the Wealthy is that both Democrats and Republicans have Uh, electoral incentive and ideological incentive to spend money on social welfare benefits. And the difference isn't whether one party spends and another party cuts, but more importantly, the difference is how the two parties spend on social welfare. Uh, And I argue and demonstrate uh, using new data that Not only do Democrats spend money on traditional social welfare programs, which we've known, but that Republicans also spend money on social welfare programs. They just spend it uh, through the tax code using tax subsidies for private welfare. And the complication and the consequences of doing that is that it dries up uh, income inequality by using government money and spending it on wealthier Americans.
2: Now, now, why is this the case? Because if part of the argument is that that whether the, the money is being spent through tax expenditures or through m- more conventional budget allocations, whether if that's sort of ir- irrelevant in in budgetary terms, why does why does it matter uh, the the mechanism? Of the spending, how does that relate to these, these questions of inequality?
1: Yeah, so uh, I would say it matters politically, and then it has uh, it matters economically. So first, let me just talk a little bit about how it matters politically. Uh, using tax subsidies helps the Republican Party solve political problems. That if you're uh, a Republican presidential candidate, if you're Mark Rubio or you're uh, Ted Cruz, and you're looking at public opinion polls, and even Republicans and conservatives say that they want the government to spend more to help with access to health care and education uh, and retirement security, then you have to figure out a way to do that, but do it in a way that can uh, aligns with conservative ideology, and small government principles. So the the beauty of uh, tax breaks for social welfare is that candidates are able to propose a program uh, to the American voter to help them with uh, their insecurities about the economy and how they're going to make ends meet and providing a safety net, uh, but do so in a way that doesn't seem like it's a Real big expansion of government because this is a tax subsidy for the private markets to help provide these and the government's just kind of footing the bill. So it solves that political problem. But economically, the consequences are the reverse Of what we know and expect of government social welfare programs. Uh, Meaning that if you look at Social Security, for example, uh, everyone pays into Social Security who works. But the way it's designed and the way it's distributed is that people who are working class, people who worked, In blue collar jobs receive more of the benefits of social security back over the course of their retirement years. So it is a upwardly, sorry, it's a downwardly distributed program that helps um, tax breaks for things like 401ks, which again is a government program to help with retirement security. The distribution of money is the reverse, that people who are making over $100,000 receive over seventy percent of the total benefits of these programs, uh, because of the way it's designed.
2: So, this is sort of the the distributive effect, and and in, in the analysis in the book, you you sort of walk back between these sort mm-hmm. of political and economic questions. You got, you have this great figure in in chapter three, uh, page seventy five of the book. For those that are listening with a copy of the book open. Um, I, I wonder if you would describe this figure to us. I, I think that the the findings are quite shocking and counter to what most people would expect of of our recent presidents and, and how spending has changed during each of their administrations. So would you tell us a little bit about, um, I think it's figure 3.1? Sure. So uh,
1: in this figure, what I do is I argue that... Uh, tax subsidies are just another form of government spending so we have this idea that democrats spend more and republicans spend less on social welfare but what if we took tax subsidies because it is a dollar measurement of government spending and added it to traditional government spending on social security welfare uh medicare etc and then we created uh year for year measurement of total government spending that included spending on public programs and subsidies for private. And when I add uh, the two major forms of government spending for social welfare together, we get a different pattern of Uh, party power and social welfare spending. And uh, in the figure, you have the largest increases in presidential administrations for social welfare spending at the federal level occurred under Republican presidents. Uh, You had Reagan as uh, the in the modern era. Uh, since uh, 1970 as the largest uh, spender on social welfare benefits, um, followed by George H.W. Bush, George W. Bush. And then you had uh, Barack Obama, President Obama, at the very bottom. Now, uh, the data in the book only goes up to 2012, so it doesn't include some of the uh, Obamacare spending that kicked in uh, in later years. But um, it just gives you an idea about how, you know, simply – Adding subsidies to our analysis of what government does and what government spending is has the potential to radically offend uh, our ideas of party politics and public policy.
2: Yeah. And in Chapter five, you, you go further and analyze what you describe as the ratio of social spending. I wonder if you could explain to us what this ratio means exactly and, mm-hmm. and how you analyze it with respect to partisan politics.
1: Sure. So uh, the the measurement I come up with, the, the social welfare expenditure ratio, um, is in the numerator. It is uh, the annual amount um, that the federal government spends on tax subsidies for private welfare um, and in the denominator, it's over uh, that, the tax subsidies for private welfare, plus traditional spending on public programs. So the idea behind the measurement is that uh, it'll get at the change or the trade off that a president or a Congress will make on a year to year basis of tax subsidies for traditional forms of spending. Um, and, you know, one thing to kind of note about an overall pattern, and this is kind of an idea I'm working on right now with a co-author for uh, a second book, is that spending in the United States has moved off the budget, that, uh, whether it's due to changes in public opinion or due to, uh, the fact that Republicans have had more powers since the 1980s, um, Government spending has moved off the books, and not only um, is this true in social welfare, as I find in the book, but it's true in a whole host of other uh, policy areas as well.
2: And so, so what do you what do you find um, when we when we look at things from this this perspective? What are you you do some uh, some complex analysis towards towards the end of that chapter? Um, what do we find, and what can we take away from? Uh, this different perspective that you offer on on how uh, money is spent on social policy is is our conventional uh, understanding simply so wrong that we we need to um, rethink either so, how social policy is made or or how we uh, have come to understand it
1: uh you know I, I i think we do so early in the chapter i i wanted to establish the idea that okay so let's look at Um, just tax subsidies for private welfare and if my theory is right that Republicans have um, electoral incentives to increase this because they're um, supported by wealthier citizens and businesses and also uh, ideological incentives to do this because it's a conservative form of spending, then when Republicans take over Congress, when they take over the White House from Democrats, uh, this type of spending should go up. And I'm able to, to show that. But then I go on further in this ratio and say, you know, it's not just that there is an increase in subsidies for private welfare. The trade-off shows that these are being paid for by cuts to discretionary spending. Um, And discretionary social spending uh, usually is targeted towards the most vulnerable populations, um, uh, the poor, people who are unemployed. So it's not just that a switch from Democratic control to Republican control is increasing Um, tax subsidies for social welfare that mainly benefit the rich, the idea is that these are being paid for uh, by cuts to programs for vulnerable populations. Um, And the reverse is also true, that when Democrats are in power, they're increasing direct social spending and then paying for it by capping or eliminating or reducing these tax subsidies. So, you know, you you get a real story about how much class policy politics has um, grown um, in this age of income inequality that, you know, Republicans are handing out benefits to their wealthier constituencies and business and paying for it by cutting money to the poor. And Democrats are reversing it by giving money to more vulnerable populations, but then um, passing the bill on to, uh, wealthier voters by uh, capping and reducing a lot of these tax subsidies.
2: Yeah, the book is just so very interesting. I think we learned so much about uh, politics and public policy. Uh, The title, again, is Welfare for the Wealthy, Parties, Social Spending, and Inequality in the United States, published in 2015 by Cambridge University Press. Chris, thank you very much for your time today.
1: Heath, uh, thank you so much for having me. It was a real pleasure. Uh, I love talking with you, and uh, I wish you a Happy New Year.
2: Yeah, we'll do it again soon.
0: 18- Plus.